We studied this morning from the 13th chapter of the book of John, beginning in John chapter 15 and verse 12, where Jesus talked about even as or as love. He said, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And then in John 13, 34 and 35, he said, a new commandment give I unto you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you love or have love one for another. Jesus is giving us a pattern or showing us what it is to truly love one another. And we're to have the same characteristics that he had in his love. He gave us an example according to John chapter 13. It says to us in verse 14 that I have given you an example and that you should wash one another's feet. And 15. And this is the kind of example that he gave. It's an example of love. It's an example of serving others. We are to give ourselves out in service as he gave himself out in service. We noted in our study this morning that Jesus loved those who were unworthy of his love. One of the hardest things that we have to do is to love those who are not worthy, who have done nothing to deserve our love, and yet we love them anyway. We love them in spite of the difficulties. We love them in spite of the things that they may do against us. In the 13th chapter of the book of John, you have Judas who's going to betray our Lord and Peter who's going to deny him. And yet Jesus loved them in spite of the fact that they were going to turn on him. The truth of the matter, all of the disciples save John are going to be scattered away from him. And he loves them in spite of the fact that they will not stand. Second, we noted this morning that the love of Jesus was to love freely. And that Jesus loved them to the nth degree. He loved them in an unlimited way. He did not limit His love. John 13, 1 says He loved them to the end. He loved them to the utmost height. And that's the kind of love that He expects of us. The love of Jesus was not forced or pressed. He volunteered that love. He loved them because of an attitude of his own heart. And it was active. It was not something that he simply talked about, but it was something that he demonstrated and he showed as he washed the disciples' feet. The love of the Lord was a lowly love. There was no act that was too small for him to perform. He could have said that this is beyond me or beneath me to perform an act like this. This is, in reality, what the others were saying. They thought that this was something that would place them subservient to the others. And so they refused to wash feet, but not the law. And if we're going to have a love like His love, then our love must be willing to perform acts of lowly service. I want you to note with me tonight that in the first place, the love of Jesus was a cleansing love. In reality, what you see in this chapter is Jesus is trying to cleanse the heart of the apostle. As he washes their feet, he's trying to wash their bare heart. 
That's what the account tells us. Here were those who were clean, but they were not all clean. Verse 11 says, or verse 10 and 11, Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not to save to wash his feet, but he is clean every whit. But you're not, you're clean, but not all. He knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you're not all clean. He was trying to wash or to cleanse the heart of Judas himself. What's our attitude toward those who sin against us? We have a loving attitude that Jesus has that we'd like to see them cleanse, that we'd like to see them free from their sin, or is our attitude an attitude of despite the fact that we despise them for their attitude? Do we try to get even with them? Do we harbor bad attitudes within our own hearts because of the fact that others commit sin against us, not the Lord Jesus Christ? The love of Jesus was a cleansing love. His love would try to rid their hearts of the bitterness and the attitude and the anger that they had toward one another. His attitude would try to show them what real forgiveness is all about. It would try to show them that they were to cleanse their own hearts to be free from sin. An attitude of love does not overlook sin. But it sees sin for what it truly is. And it tries to get an individual to turn away from his sin, to apply the blood of Jesus to his sin so that he can be forgiven. The attitude of the Lord in the 13th chapter of the book of John wouldn't overlook the sin of Peter. It would not overlook the sin of Judas. And yet it would strive to get these individuals to turn away from their sin. There are some today who say that we're unloving if we point out sin. Such is not the case. Jesus would point out their sin while his desire was that they would be free from it. That they would be forgiven. That they would repent. That they would allow this act on his part of love to cleanse their hearts and their minds. Note with me in the second place that love tries to see them or does try to see the mistakes of others and tries to help them avoid those mistakes. I think this is true particularly of parents and their relationship with young people. It's true in other relationships too, but I know that it's true in this kind of relationship because of experience. We can see some mistakes that they're going to make. And what's our attitude toward that? Love says that we try to help them to avoid those mistakes. Jesus could see that here's Peter in the latter verses of the 13th chapter of the book of John, verse 36, beginning, who's going to deny. And he sees that here's Judas, and because of materialistic attitude of heart that he recognizes in Judas that Judas is going to betray him. And he tries to help these to avoid the mistakes and the shortcomings that they might fall into. Love does not overlook the mistakes that one might make, but it tries in a very gentle way to guide one away from the mistakes and shortcomings that they might commit. That's what our Lord is doing. He sees out in front of them the problems that they're going to face and the difficulties that will be there. 
And in a loving way, he's trying to guide them away from the problems and the difficulties. He's trying to prevent them from making the mistakes that they might make. Love would reach out, put a hand on a shoulder, and in a soft, gentle way, try to bring about a correction of heart that would lead one away from mistakes like were made by Peter, the sin that was committed by Jesus. Love, it tries to prevent mistakes. It tries to prevent sin. It tries to encourage. Turn to the Hebrews letter in the 10th chapter of that letter in verse 24. That's what the writer's talking about. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24, when he says that we are to encourage, the new King James says, to encourage one another to provoke unto love and good works. That we strive to encourage, seeing the mistakes that others might make, to edify, to build up, so that we might consider one another and provoke unto love and good works. That's what you have in the 13th chapter of the book of John. Jesus reaching out in encouragement, in consideration, in kindness for Judas and Peter as well as the other apostles to try to guide them and to lead them and to help them so that when they face the difficult hours that would lay ahead, that they'd be able to stand and not to fall. But in the next place, in the third place tonight, love puts others above self. Here's the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about the apostles. As they're present, here to observe the Passover feast. Every one of them is thinking about self. I mentioned this morning, Luke 22 and verse 24 says, There were strife among them over who was the greatest. Here are those who are thinking only of self. The account tells us in the 18th chapter of the book of Matthew that they were upset with one another and that they came to the Lord and Peter said, how often should I forgive my brother until seven times? And Jesus gives that great example in the 18th chapter of the book of Matthew of unlimited forgiveness and shows how that we have owed a great debt to God and yet he's willing to forgive us of that debt. And yet many times we're unwilling to forgive those, the small debts or trespasses that they sin against us. Here are individuals in the 13th chapter of the book of John that are only interested in self. They're not interested in others. And yet Jesus Christ, the Son of God, places others before himself. In the Philippian letter, in the second chapter of the book of Philippians, I think you've got a real good commentary on what you have beginning in the 13th chapter of the book of John. And he says in Philippians 2, beginning with verse 1, if they therefore be any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of spirit, any bowels of mercies. Isn't that what you have in John 13? The comfort that Jesus is trying to offer them in love as they're going to face difficult times that would lie ahead. Fulfill you my joy and be you like-minded, having the same love. That's the even as love of John 13, 34 and 35 and John 15, 12. Having the same love, being of one accord and one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. 
The only one in the 13th chapter of the book of John who had a lowly mind was the Lord Jesus Christ. Willing to take a towel and a basin of water and wash the feet of the disciples. Others would esteem themselves better than others. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ esteemed them all better than he. He placed himself on a subservient level so that he might wash their feet and cleanse their hearts and demonstrate a new kind of love. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. How many times has selfishness stopped us from truly demonstrating the love that we ought to have within our hearts? Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be with God, made of himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and literally bond slave, and that's what you have in John 13, and was made in the likeness of men, being found in fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him, Hath given him a name which is above every name, that is the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of the things in heaven, the things in the earth, and the things under the earth. Here is Jesus, who has a love that does not look upon himself or his own thing, but places the focus on others and what their needs are. Giving attention not to self, but attention to others. He's willing to take a tithe, a basin of water, and wash the feet of others. Now we need to ask ourselves. How much foot washing have we done? I don't mean in a literal sense. We're not getting ready to observe a Passover feast. But how many times are we willing like the Lord Jesus Christ. To think about someone else. And to be willing in a very positive way. To demonstrate our love and our compassion taking the things that are needed and using those for the benefit and the blessing of other people. Yes, the love of Jesus puts others first. It places others before self. But then again, in the next place, the love of Jesus was patient. I expect one of the things that we have more trouble with than anything else is to have a patient love. Think about this occasion. I mentioned it this morning in the introduction. Here are the apostles. They've been with our Lord for two and a half years. He's tried to teach them, and yet in teaching them, they've not really learned the lesson that he's tried to get across. They see the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they don't have a bit of trouble applying that to the Pharisees. When the Lord says, one, you scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, Matthew 23, they can look right there and see those scribes and Pharisees and how hypocritical they are in their lives, and they can apply that real well. But when it comes down to their own lives and their relationships one to another, think about it. Here are the twelve apostles, the inner circle of our law. And yet they're bickering among themselves over who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The application with one another has because 
or a failure to apply this to one another or to themselves has caused them to become upset with one another. Even so to the point that Peter comes to him and says, Lord, just how often should I forgive a brother when he sins against me? I don't know which apostle Peter had such problem with, but evidently he did with some of them. And then the Lord takes a towel and a basin of water. Men with their frailties and their weaknesses who are impatient and patiently washes their feet trying to cleanse their heart. Note with me the things that Ken read a minute ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning with verse 4. It's interesting to me that as Paul describes the kind of love that's even as love, that's agape love. In 1 Corinthians 13, 4, the first thing he says is it suffers long. Now that's patient. It suffers long and is kind. It envieth not, it boneth not itself, is not puffed up. Now think about this situation among the apostles in the 13th chapter of the book of John. Putting that with Luke 22 and Matthew 18. And the attitudes of heart that they must have had, evidently they're the very opposite of what you see in 1 Corinthians 13, 4. And then he says it doth not behave itself unseemingly. It seeks not its own. It's not easily provoked. It thinketh no evil. It rejoiceth not in iniquity, but it rejoiceth in truth. It beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things. It endures all things. Look at the close of that description. He started off by saying it's long-suffering. And he closes it by saying it endures all things. What's the point? Love is patient. Here's Jesus Christ realizing the weaknesses and the frailties of these apostles being patient with them. I think when I saw their shortcomings, I'd just given up. And I'd have thought, well, I never will make any impact on them. There's no way that these men will ever be able to carry the gospel of the world. Here I'm going to the cross. My work will be left to them. How can they do it? The patient love of the Son of God, the towel and a basin of water demonstrating what it's all about, changed the lives of the apostles. There's no doubt. In my mind, you turn to the second chapter of the book of Acts, you've got a different heart from what you have in the 13th chapter of the book of John. The patience of the love of God. Think about our own life. What if God was impatient with me? With my weaknesses and my frailties, if the love of God was like my love is sometimes, there's no way that I could make it. Impatient. Short-tempered. And yet the love of God is patient. Long-suffering. Forgiving when I'll turn from my sin and my iniquity. The love of Jesus surely gave them a new kind and a new quality in the 13th chapter of the book of John. Not only that, the love of our Lord Jesus Christ is that it is understanding. He could see their weaknesses and their frailties. He knew what it was like. 
He had been tempted just like they were. He had faced Satan as he was tempted in Matthew 4 and Luke chapter 4 and been able to overcome that temptation. He was tempted like as we are in all points. Hebrews 4 and verse 16, yet without sin. He understands. He was sympathetic. There's no temptation taking you but such as you bear, but God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you're able, but with the temptation provide a way of escape so that you might be able to endure it. Think about Jesus Christ in the midst of these men seeing their weaknesses and their frailties, realizing what was going to take place. And yet with a loving, understanding heart, trying to cleanse those hearts and turn them from the mistakes that he sees that's going to come about in their lives. It's an understanding love. When I commit some mistake or commit some sin against someone, I want them to be forgiving of me. And I plead their mercy. I plead their tender kindness. I plead their grace. But what about when they do something against me? Am I as ready to extend mercy as I am pleading mercy when I do something wrong? Let that apply in the home. Let that apply in everyday living, in all the relationships in life. It'll make a difference. To have an understanding heart. And to see the weaknesses and the frailties that others have in the same light as I see my own weaknesses and my own frailties. In Ephesians chapter 5, the, or 4 rather, in verse 32, the account says, Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Yes, Jesus has an understanding love. Not that he overlooks sin, but he understands and he's sympathetic. And he pleads through a towel and a basin of water that these men might come to repentance. And receive forgiveness. But then note with me the motivation of the love of God. Jesus realized that the love of God would be that that would draw them and lead them to obedience. Thus we read this morning as we were reading through the passages in the book of John. That in the 14th chapter of the book of John verse 15. The account says loving me keep my commandments. Jesus knew that if he was ever going to change the lives of these people and bring them into obedience, it would be through love. It would be through a loving act on his part. Really, the cross stands for that loving act. Greater love hath no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friend. If one cannot be motivated by the love of God for him to be led to obey the truth of the gospel of Christ, there is no hope. There's nothing outside of the love of God that will lead one if he turns that down to obedience unto the gospel. To see what God has done and to spurn the mercy of God is to frustrate grace. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 says. Or Galatians 2 rather. Galatians 2.21. Paul said, I do not frustrate the grace of God. He realized that if righteousness or if salvation was through the law of Moses, then that would frustrate God's grace in the cross. 
And one can turn his back on the love of God, the mercy of God, and thus frustrate the grace of God. But then I want you to note the transforming power of the love of Christ. I've already mentioned this, but I mention it again because I believe it's the focal point of what's in this chapter. The love of Jesus in washing the feet of those men washed the hearts of those men to transform their lives. What begins here really culminates in the cross. In this, in the 13th chapter of the book of John, I think you have a picture way of what's going to take place in principle in the cross. As Jesus, through a self-sacrifice, totally gives himself over for his disciples, gives his life, gives up totally to be the sacrifice and propitiation for the sins of mankind. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was willing to give the price that you and I cannot give so that we might live, to die in our place. And thus, through the love of the Son of God, the lives of these men were transformed. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the account says, Wherefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creature. The margin the American Standard uses the word creation and it literally means in the passage he's made all over again. Behold, old things are passed away. He hath become new. What's taken place? The love of God has transformed his life, made him into a different life. You can see this in action, not only in the lives of the apostles, but think about those who would come later. Think about the apostle Paul. Look at Paul persecuting the church, doing everything that he can to hail men and women in prison, standing there, Stephen's stoned to death and holding their coats, giving his approval to it. Paul, with a broken heart, says, I'm the chiefest sinner. See a man transformed, the self-righteous Pharisee, and to the humble Paul, Read about it as he writes to the young man Timothy in First and Second Timothy. The love of God can transform lives. It can take a man like the Philippian jailer in the 16th chapter of the book of Acts who would help to put stripes on the back of the apostles to take a rag and wash the same stripes that he placed there and set meat before the love of God can transform lives, make them over again. That's what it's intended to do. And that's what Jesus is trying to do in the 13th chapter of the book of John. To take lives that had been torn asunder and hearts torn apart by sin and to make them over again in the image of the Son of God. To love even as He loved. This is my commandment, that you love one another. And by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. A new commandment. It has a new object, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It has a new measure, as I have loved you. It has a new quality, kind of, one that had not been seen before. 
A measure of love that was beyond the comprehension of man in the Old Testament. Now to be demonstrated in the cross of Christ. A new motive. The service of the master seen in the cross. And a new conduct. A new commandment. To love one another. No wonder the Lord said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. Because it's the very heart and the essence of what's in Christianity. It's a life taken and made over again by the gospel of Christ. To demonstrate in real action what it means to have the Lord Jesus Christ living in you. If you're not a Christian tonight, let the love of Jesus appeal to you. He took your place. He died for you on the cross that you might live. You're without hope, you're without God, you have no salvation, you're lost, you're undone. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took your place, you deserve to die. The wages of sin is death, Romans six twenty three. But he took your place on the cross that you might live. Let that love draw you tonight. He saved you. He died for you. You can come in faith, turning from sin, confessing before this assembly, be immersed, to be forgiven tonight. While together we stand. And while we sing.